step into your presence right now, Lord, after a week of, Lord, being out within our world that we live in, in our homes, in our jobs, and in our neighborhoods. And Lord, uh, you've been at work even there. And now we come, Lord, to really give thanks as we've spent time here in worship and giving thanks, Lord, that you brought us through this week. But Lord, we also now come asking that you would do a work here in our midst. We're praying, God, that as we invite the Holy Spirit into this place, Lord, that he, we know he's already here, but Lord, we're asking that there be a special working here in the midst as we open your word, and Lord, that you would speak to each one as you so see fit. Lord, we need to hear from you today so that we might leave this place, Lord, and step out again into our world that you have placed us in so that we might lift up your name, we might proclaim the greatness of who you are, and Lord, we might live victoriously bringing glory to who you are. So Lord, be present here in this place, we pray, God. Speak to us as you so see fit, we ask. May you be lifted up, Lord. May it be you that speaks through the word today to each soul, we pray. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. They're going to bring up my table here in just a moment. And uh, we're going to, I just need a little bit of a table here to help me out, I guess. But uh, I would just, as they, as they do bring that uh, over here, have you ever met that person where after encountering them, you thought, boy, they really need to reorder their life, their life priorities? You ever met that person? You know, they, they're that, um, you know, uh, uh, they need to get back, you know, get back to what's most important in life. Ever met that? Maybe you got someone in your mind right now. You know, what I think is important is not what they think is important. You ever have that person? You got someone in your mind, maybe? You know, it's like the man who, uh, who, uh, he went to the Super Bowl. Anybody big Super Bowl fans? Maybe not. All right. There, all right, Tyler. He went to the Super Bowl, and while attending the Super Bowl, he was surprised to see an empty seat just down the way next to him at the Super Bowl. In fact, he, uh, being a, a diehard fan, he kind of remarked to the guy sitting next to the empty seat. He goes, look at that empty seat here at the Super Bowl. That's amazing. I can't believe it. To which came the reply, well, it's my wife's seat, but she died. Oh, I am so sorry, said the man. But being a diehard fan, he began to say, well, I, I, he goes, I'm, I'm still, yep, yeah, I'm confused. I, I'm surprised that another relative or friend wouldn't, wouldn't, didn't jump at the chance to come and, uh, you know, sit in that seat with you. Join you today, and his response well beats me. That he said they they all insisted at, to be at the funeral. <laughs> now you should have known that was coming, right? And we know, we know, uh, uh, we know that's not a true story. You would never plan your wife's funeral during the Super Bowl. Maybe the visitation, but not the. 
not the funeral, right? But it, uh, it illustrates humorously how in life what needs to be most important can get misplaced with what the world says is important. Today, uh, we begin a, a four-week series uh, entitled, First Things First. Uh, the ta- Bible talks about several firsts. Uh, throughout the Bible, you will find statements of, uh, of truth that need to be first in your thinking in, and then also then in, in how you live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. There are, there, there are some different firsts that need to guide your life as a follower of Jesus. And so over the next four weeks, uh, we're going to look at four of them. Uh, This week, I'm going to look at the first command, uh, or what is considered the greatest commandment of the Bible. Next week, Pastor Parker, and you want to make sure you're here, and together we're joining together in worship, and bring someone with you. But Pastor Parker is going to talk about the first priority, where the Bible calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. And then the following two Sundays, Pastor Brent will look at first fruits, uh, giving to God first from what he has already given to you. And then secondly, first love, he'll look at loving God over all the other loves in your life. Loving God first in that way. And it kind of relates a little bit to what we'll be talking about today. But before, before I can read um, uh, uh, this passage and we, we dive into it, I want to share some context. Some context about what is leading up to this this, what we call the greatest commandment or the first command. You see, it's helpful to understand that at this time, a con- the conversation between, takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus had already made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He also had cursed the fig tree. Maybe you remember that uh, record within in the Word of God. And he, he cursed it because it was not producing fruit when it was supposed to have fruit. And so later on, they even saw it completely withered up within a day, and it died. And that was a picture of what was really the state of uh, Israel at that time. They were not being fruitful. He also had cleared the temple. We all know that encounter as he walked into the temple and and, and the money changers were there and making deals for sacrifices. And, and they were turning, as the scripture says, into a den of robbers. And he turns over the tables. And, and then out of that encounter of, 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 of really going at it, uh, he is then questioned. He is questioned about his authority. Say, hold on a second. Who do you think you are? By whose authority do you have? To do such a thing. And see, all of this is taking place as it leads, as a lead up to Jesus. He's going to the cross to die to pay for the debt of mankind's sins. Yours and my, my sin. Now, I believe at this point when this conversation takes place, if, if I'm correct, I believe it's Wednesday of his last week. And he is preaching in the temple courts. It's been a day of him telling parables and, and challenging the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, those who were the religious and uh, political leaders of, of that time. And in fact, the parables, um, 
the parables that were, were, were told, three of them are recorded in, in Matthew. And, and one is recorded here in, in Mark. In fact, I invite you to open up your copy of the Word of God or your device to Mark chapter, Mark chapter 12. And, um, and so uh, these, these parables were very direct at challenging and being critical of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In fact, Mark says of this, of their response to Jesus' parable in chapter 12, verse 12, he says this, Then they looked for a way to arrest him. They were not happy. <laughs> Jesus was starting to step into their territory. He was confronting them, and they, they were looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they, they were afraid of the crowds, so they left him and went away. You see, as Jesus' influence, as it, as it grew, his message of him being the Messiah was proclaimed to the Jewish people. And as it was proclaimed to the Jewish religious and to the people, the Jewish religious uh, and political leaders, they looked to trap Jesus. They, no, we don't, we don't want this. We don't agree with this. We don't want this being proclaimed. So they looked for ways to trap him and so that they might arrest him and eventually put him to, to death. So later on, the, the leaders, um, the religious uh, you know, political leaders, they, they return. Now, instead of listening to him, they want to ask him some questions. And they ask him a question about taxes. Now, if you want to cause an uproar, talk about taxes and politics, right? <laughs> and, and so they thought, oh, we're going to set him up with a political question, and it'll cause decisiveness, and, 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 and people will start turning away, uh, away from him. And so Jesus, though, he responds masterfully by saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And so the Pharisees and the Herodians were, well, they were kind of amazed. Wow, that was a good answer. That was a good answer. And so the Sadducees, now they come up, all right, and they try to stump Jesus with a question about marriage and marriage in the resurrection, which is ironic because the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay? They thought, We'll trap him here, and we'll see, and we'll create a, a conflict here theologically. And so they strive to challenge him here in this, this area. And, and, and in that question, you, you see, as they ask it, there's this, almost this attitude of, well, elitism, where they're kind of saying, you know, you're, you're not one of us. Um, we are learned. We are knowing. Uh, we are... We are smart. We have been educated in the truths of God's word. And so Jesus, knowing that the Sadducees only followed the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, he, he, he quotes directly from the Pentateuch to refute them. And look what he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. He says this, Jesus replied, you are... Are you not in error? Now there's a statement for you, kind of confrontive. Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. 
And so he addresses the question of marriage, all right? That is not marriage in heaven. But then he goes on, let's just talk about this whole thing you're talking about, the resurrection, which you do not believe on. And so he says in verse 26, now about the dead rising, had you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, the burning bush, how God said to him, and this here you got to understand, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That I am is present tense. He's speaking to I am presently in that moment. And, he, and then he goes on to say, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Can you, can you feel the tension? <laughs> He's kind of getting it, giving it back to these religious leaders, these political leaders. He's, he's pushing it back. He's, he's, he's using scripture. And you can feel the tension here. As he confronts these spiritual and politi Jewish political leaders, and he challenges them about their failure to lead Israel well. He challenges them about their failure to prepare them for the coming Messiah, Jesus, who's standing right in front of them. And yet, they can't see it. And so as they, as they went... From questioning him and his, his authority and striving then now to trap him in his words. What's Jesus do? He responds with truth. He responds to them right back with the truth. The very words of God that they claim to so diligently know. And, and he confronts them. You see, they were the ones... They were the ones who had authority and power. They liked it that way, right? Isn't that similar to in our culture today? People who have power, they like power, and they don't like to give it up. And see, they liked it because they could add rules and regulations to God's truth that would benefit them, giving them more power over the people, enabling them to acquire riches for themselves. Jesus, he was a threat. He was a threat to them and their power. And yet he responds. He responds with such authority that they can't not, that they can't not do what they wish. And that is to trap him in his words so that they, so that the people would turn away from him and they could get rid of Jesus. That's what they wanted. Think about this. Here's Jesus. Jesus, the one who would not only provide the forgiveness of sins, salvation from their sins, but would give mankind God's perspective of what of, of what life was intended to be. Life with significance and meaning and purpose as a people of God. And yet, all around Jesus, there's this opposition. Opposition. To the very thing that's going to change and transform people and their lives. You see, Satan was was working through his various methods, his schemes, his ways... And to turn men away from the plan of God. Today, 
we are faced with the same challenges. Uh, living in a world where there's increasing opposition to Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, and ultimately Christianity. We're, we're up against some things as we look to the future. More and more, as followers of Jesus uh, Christ, we will be questioned. We will be challenged. And it will be important in those times, uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, to know what is most important. And ultimately, what's most important to God. And that is what we find here as we look into this text here in chapter 12 of the book of Mark. We find one more challenger is sent from the Pharisees to test Jesus. And in this final challenge, what we call the first command or the greatest commandment, we have Jesus lays out, lay out what's most important in life. If there's going to be one truth, that we as believers should follow, obey, and live by, it's this. So let me read it for you. So look at the text, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered Jesus, is this. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So there's an intertwine here between love and God and loving the world. His response was in verse 32, well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and, with, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices which they love to carry out. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him, Jesus, any more questions. Now it's important to understand here, and I think, I, I love what we're, Warren Wiersbe, a, a Bible teacher I love, I, I study and have learned from, he, he gives some great insight. Understanding what's going on here, it's the, the background of what's taking place is Jesus is challenged about this great commandment and then responds to what it is. You see, the scribes, they had determined that the Jews were obligated to obey 613, all right, precepts or laws. Imagine trying to keep track of that a little bit. <laughs> there were, there were <clears throat> now get this, there were 365 negative ones and 248 positive ones. One of their favorite exercises, though, was to, discussing which of these divine commandments was the greatest. They loved to discuss this. And, they, and so they thought, man, asking this question, well, this will throw a lot of debate. 
And it'll begin. Maybe we can divide, divert people away because they don't agree with what's taking place. And so Jesus, here, he, here again, he, what he does is that he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And that is the great confession of faith that even today, if you are a good Jewish person, you will recite this every morning and night. It's called the Shema, I believe. All right? And from the first words of the confession, which means hear. And then he quotes from Leviticus 19.18, which emphasizes love for one another. So he takes them again back to the very own Old Testament scriptures. And what we see here, okay, is that Jesus made love the most important thing in life. Because, see, love, as Romans says in, in Romans chapter 13, love is the fulfilling of the law. When I, live, when I live in love with God, when I live out God's love in my life to the people around me, I am ultimately fulfilling all that God calls me to in the law. And so, and, and so if we love God, we will experience his love within and we'll express it. It'll be, it should be an outpouring that comes to others in our life. Um, you know, we, we do not live by rules. We live by relationship. God's called us to relationships, a loving relationship to him, all right, that enables us to have a loving relationship with others. And again, Jesus, Jesus, he confronts the religious leaders because they had all made it all about rules and taken away from what was most important, people loving God. You know, what's interesting in this encounter that you read here in, the, in verses 28 through 34 is that when the, that scribe there started the conversation, his main goal, and Matthew seems to indicate it as he, he gives the, his encounter of that, his main goal was to get evidence against Jesus. That's why he was sent. But after he heard Jesus' answer, Something begins to take place. Maybe that will happen to you this morning. Maybe God's going to do something in your heart today as you hear the truth, the truth of what he wants to speak into your heart today. And there you see the scribe. He stood and he even dared to commend Jesus. That would have been, what are you doing as the other Pharisees looked on? See, the word had spoken into the man's heart, and he was beginning to get a deeper spiritual understanding of faith. The faith he thought he understood. See, even the Old Testament scriptures taught that there was more to the Jewish religion than offering sacrifices and keeping, keeping the laws. What's most important in life? What is most important? Like loving God. Loving God. If there's one thing I want you to take home, what needs to be most important in my life? Loving God. Loving God. And then letting that love overflow to those around you. Now the question that comes here as we look, look and dig into this text now 
is, is, is what does this love look like then in everyday life? How am, I, how am I to live this love for God out ultimately? Well, first we need to clearly understand what, what is being described here in, in, in the very word love. He says, love the Lord your God. He says, so we got to dig this out here a little bit. See, this love that he's talking about, is a, it's a sacrificial love. Jesus says, love the Lord your God. In the Greek, this, this, this same word is used in how we are to love um, each other, also love in marriage, but it's, it's the word agape. And there's other Greek words, uh, phileo and eros, that describes other aspects of love. But here, this, this word is used, agape love, and it speaks of the kind of love God has for us. It's unconditional, it's perfect, it's eternal, it's righteous, it's changeless, it's unselfish. It's a love that gives itself away with the expectation of expecting nothing in return. I just give you love. I just love you, expecting nothing back. It, it's that kind of like it causes, it caused Jesus to go to the cross, to give himself for us. In other words, we are to love him like he loves us, sacrificially. This, this love is possible, uh, be, but only because he first loved us. There's another aspect, though, about understanding this love the Lord your God. It's not only sacrificial love, but it's also a love that's a surrendered love. Jesus says, love the, the Lord, the Lord your God. That word Lord is the, it's, it's, it's uh, again, it's, it's the word kurios. It speaks of one who owns another. In other words, it's master. Love your master. We cannot truly love the Lord until we see him as Lord. He's my master. We do not truly love him until we have surrendered all to him and acknowledge him. You are my Lord, and I'm following you in your truth. But then also he describes it as a personal love. Jesus says, love the Lord. Now here is your your God. This phrase speaks of being in a personal saving relationship with God. He is, he is not your God until you have placed faith in him through his son Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and believe that Christ died on that cross so that you might have a love relationship with God and then you confess him, him as your Lord. And so there's a personal aspect to this. He is your God. He is your God. Your God. And you cannot love him until you know him personally. But then he goes on to describe this love and how it kind of works its way out. And so we see a fourth thing that comes out of this love the Lord your God. But it's a love your Lord to God with all your, what's it say? Heart. Heart. And this is a committed love. Uh, the word heart refers to the core of our physical being, the very core of, of your being, 
in a sense, should just cry out for God. Cry out with love for God. When we love him with all our hearts, loving him um, in all other areas of life will be no problem. It becomes an outward because I love God. I want to, I want to live in that. And I want, therefore, I'm the, I love him with all my heart. And so I'm going to seek him. And that's why the Bible, even in Proverbs, the, the, the writer writes, he goes, above all else, guard our hearts for it's the wellspring of life. Ultimately, if you're going to experience the fullness of God's love in your life, you've, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to pursue this love relationship with him. And out of that, you will see, you'll see greater things of God as he works in your midst, as he carries you through the difficult days, as he empowers you to live victorious in his life. But not only is it this aspect of a, a love that's, that's committed, but it's also an emotional love. Jesus said, with all your soul. The word soul refers to that seed of emotions and, and, and ultimately the will, the will that, that we choose. Our love for him should be an emotional love also. A lot of times we don't like to be very emotional I think sometimes, and maybe that's, that, that's, that's your background, but one thing I've learned to be is also to embrace this all emotional aspect of, of my love for God. And so there's times where you, I'll be crying out to God, I'll be shouting out to God. Don't watch me when you, if you pass me in the car. You know. <laughs> I'll be talking to God, I'll be testifying. There's, a, there's, a, there's an emotional manifestation of our love for the Lord. Our, our, our love for the Lord is a decision we make, but it, it comes out. You know, it's the same thing for your spouse. Remember when you, you grew into love with your spouse? I love you. And you need to keep saying that, right? I love you. And then express it. If you're married right next to, you know, turn to your wife or your husband and say, I love you. You're not doing it very good. I think, I think ultimately this is what worship is about. When we come in here and lift up praise and song, that's what this is about, man. It's getting emotional with God. And I would encourage you to take some steps in that area. Love the Lord your God. To choose to love him with all your soul. But then he goes on, he, he describes here also that this love, Jesus says, with all your mind. And we see here that it's an intellectual love. And so for you that are, you know, engineers and, you're, you know, you're, you're understanding the knowledge, this is for you, all right? But you got to go remember the emotional aspect. But Jesus said, with all your mind. Here, this is an intellectual love. Mind refers to the intellect. And so this isn't just... You know, letting the emotions fly, but it, it's based in the understanding in a, of, of who God is and his depth of love for you. He has revealed himself within his word. And we respond to that truth with, with a focused intensity that it allows you, I believe, to be even more emotional, to be more personal, to be more sacrificial, to be more uh, just seeking him in, in, in that way. I know that my wife... Savior lives, right? My Redeemer lives. 
I know it. There's an empty grave. But then lastly, he describes this love as a physical love. Jesus said, with all your strength. The word strength, you know, it speaks of our might, our power, our abilities, every ability, every gift, every talent, everything I God, God has gifted me to be able to do in this world that enables me to interact and even maybe even earn an income or whatever. All those things, every strength God has given to me and he calls me to love him back with him. To mobilize all of it to love the Lord. Love the Lord. So let me ask you this question. What's most important in life? Amen. Amen. When, when the questions start to come in our future, when you are faced with the challenges of this culture and its opposition to God that's becoming more and more opposed to God, to Jesus Christ, to honoring him and living out his truth and his righteousness and his love in this world, when, when that opposition's come, what's going to be your fallback position? You've got to have a fallback position in your life. What is it going to be? What's your overarching guide for life? What's your, what's your no matter what statement? No matter what truth you're going to live by. Jesus gives it to us here. No matter what, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. This last week, I, I came across this article. And it, it caught my attention because of this woman and what she is going through in her life. Her name is Jane uh, Mar Markazowitzki. And then you may not know who she is, but she's the front runner on this year's seasons of America's Got Talent. Have you watched the show, America's Got Talent? She was forced to leave the competition last week to focus on fighting cancer. This is the third bout of cancer for the woman, for Jane, as she goes through, um, as she goes by the name, stage name, Night Birdie, Night Birdie. She was diagnosed with cancer in 2017. Shortly afterwards, her husband asked her for a divorce. Whoa. She spiraled into a depression struggling to speak, eat, or leave her bed for several months. On her blog, Jane wrote about meeting God in those dark places. Even on the bathroom floor. She chose the name Night Birdie because she wants to sing in the darkest places where she's found, get this, Jesus. 
This is what she says. If you listen for it and look for it, she said, you will see Jesus all over it, no matter what you're going through. You see, Jane has what might be called a big enough worldview, one able to handle even the hardest challenges. As Jane put it here in the interview, she goes, the note that I have been given to sing in the orchestra of life is short and insignificant, truly, but I want to sing it well. I tell you, that's what the love of God will do for you. If you love God, he will fill your soul back up with incredible love and carry you through whatever it is in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you.